Before we start our episode of Noise Extra, one quick announcement. Anyone who considers themselves a true adherent of American Power Electronics knows the name Thomas Garrison. With his project Control having taken effect by the close of the 90s, Garrison helped usher in an efficacious second wave of American PE. Garrison was recently diagnosed with stage 2 prostate cancer, and like many this past year, he has been out of work due to the pandemic and without health insurance. Garrison has set up a GoFundMe to help with his medical expenses, and Cloyster Recordings will be donating 23% of its profits until the end of September. Please consider helping out a pillar of our noise community during his time of need. Links to the GoFundMe and to Cloyster will be in the episode description. Thank you. You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And on this wonderful day, we are going to dive into the P children. Uh, late 80s, early 90s noise industrial group. Uh, really strange stuff. And I think one of those things that's a little underheard. And uh, they've got a cool discography, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about their ten inch on records and SSS. Yeah, it's a really cool one to talk about. When we did the seven inch episode on their seven inch, we got a lot of responses of people saying, "Oh wow, you know, I love that band. It's been a while since I've heard them." Or so it, there is definitely bubbling under the surface people ready to hear talk about pea children and we are here today to do that talk but before we discuss this fantastic 10 inch great what have you been listening to? man uh the new aaron dilloway jeff german issue on i believe white centipede on white centipede and new forces uh casual collisions cd uh Really strange, strange. I think it's processed drum and cymbal recordings. Uh, there's a photo of like a drum head and, uh, and some metal on the inside and then a photo of Dillaway's studio as well. So you can kind of see the the mind at work there maybe. And I mean, those two names probably don't need much introduction. Obviously, Jeff German of Hands 2, who we've recently covered and Aaron Dilloway, who has been on the show and has to come back on the show and just a, a really cool disc and set a really nice vibe. I'm glad it saw, you know, I think it was originally issued as a CDR. So getting a much wider release and uh, it's a good time for noise for that kind of stuff is like this thing that you probably couldn't have found very easily, even from however many years ago. Now you can get a nice edition of. So did it Stefan say it was a private release or maybe for a show or something like that yeah i think i don't think jeff made too many of them and now uh there are many of them which is cool and uh listen to subclinic dissection program i've been in a big subclinic zone uh leading up into october i've just i mean always i talked about this uh whatever a month or two ago with his neuroschism tape which was also fantastic this is a 
little more in the straight up death industrial vibe, real moody, some cool samples, uh, just a fan uh, in general of subclinic. And, you know, he's been active since the nineties. So probably have to talk about him soon. More here. I'm on board for that. And I listened to something that actually Anthony Saunders had recommended on our prick decay episode, uh, which was the Leah P surviving the familiar CD on oxen. And he referenced it in terms of 90s noise. And I do think in spirit, it, it definitely has that sort of uh, looser feel to it. But production wise and stylistically, uh, it's firmly rooted in like 2002 for me. Like it reminded me of getting sort of killer noise tapes and, and like and even like CDRs back then of stuff it like early like sewer election and and tef and stuff like that like hearing some of that stuff it's like nice caught up really well produced really good vibe noise uh nice variety of sounds i was really pleased listening to it so i know anthony had had recommended it and uh, i'm gonna second that recommendation of uh leah p surviving the familiar on oxen and then i got a i got a box of stuff in the mail today and immediately threw some stuff on well, hey, I heard that might be the subject of today's Extra Noise Extra. Do you want to tease it out a little bit or you want to hold it back? Because that box is insane. Because it is incredible. Yeah, it's a good it's a good box of stuff. Uh, I, was, I listened to two of the things out of it, so that doesn't even take up too much time. So I'll mention the two things I listened to, and you can hear us discuss the rest in the Extra Noise Extra. Uh, first thing is uh, Tayuki Mura auto sleeper CDR on Xerxes uh, weird thing. And certainly not the like rarest thing. I think there's 50 of them, but uh, Xerxes CDR still plays sometimes those 2000 CDRs <laughs> don't uh, like my player very much, but this one jammed and I wasn't actually too familiar with his stuff, but the packaging looked beautiful. And so I grabbed it and yeah, very cool, weird disc. And uh, I got I got a couple pain jerk tapes, but the the one I threw on was the self-titled pain jerk amp 002. Actually, I think it's amp 002, which is very presumptuous that you will require four digits on your catalog numbers hey. eventually. That's awesome. Uh, we should all be so lucky. I'm I'm only like 40% of the way there. <laughs> I mean, pain jerk, it's a, a studio track and a live track, and they both rule. And the live track really shows off a cool nice side. But we'll talk about the rest of that stuff. Uh, when it comes to extra noise, extra. Heck yeah. Kylie's, what have you been listening to? Well, today we just threw on the radio sound interference pattern cassette. And that sounded very, very nice. Lovely, chaotic crumble. It's a great textural tape. Now this is his first tape. It is. And Scott was cool enough to find a few extra copies lying around after we interviewed him. I think about a year ago, actually. I oh. think that's maybe why it felt right to listen to right now. It's been about a year. Mm -hmm. huh. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm mistaken. I thought it was in September of last year, but hey, what I don't time? know what is time. I don't but I, it, maybe that's why it was calling to us, though. And we just felt it would be a good companion to the p children 10 inch so and it, it really was it's a fantastic tape looks great very 
simple, well-designed cover. Talk nice about and, good paper. Yeah, cool, unique paper, nice and long. It's craft paper that's coated. It's a wonderful <laughs> radio sound cassette. You know, I love the look of that tape, and I also mm-hmm. love the sound of it. And tape sounds pretty good, but people will be able to hear it even better soon, actually. Uh, it's funny you you bring this thing up. I sent that off to the plant recently for a CD repress with a new packaging, of course, design or inspired by the old packaging and remastered by Scott himself. So very exciting. I think it's going to be a great CD release. The cassette's great. And are you using graph paper as well? I mean, the, my plant doesn't offer graph paper, but yes, graph paper was incorporated into the artwork. It's always so intimidating for me to use it because if your lines are off a little bit in any direction, it's absolutely obvious. Yeah, nothing prints. So no printer prints like perfectly straight and so smooth. Somehow he I know, really he it. nailed it. On it this. And like DIY stuff, like, you know, early on, I thought it would be cool to use, you know, paper with lines on it like that and, and quickly learned no that's uh man actually really looking at this i know i was looking at it earlier like god i don't know how he really nailed it yeah because printers do not print straight wow you know actually i yeah. really wonder how he nailed it so perfectly well huh. we'll have to we'll have to hey i guess out. i guess you know some people are more precise with design than we are <laughs> But even, I mean, that's, that is really, I didn't even think about that, Tara, until the only thing I thought of. They also sewing too. Like when you, when you try to use like check stripes, anything, and you're sewing them, it's just so unforgiving. Don't even bother. Go for florals. Very forgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then also because of the children, um, we were in a big Pendereki zone and we listened to the Shining soundtrack. It was between that and watching Wild at Heart, which I think, we're just going to have to watch Wild Heart tonight and enjoy the the Shining soundtrack this morning. Yeah, I mean, classic soundtrack. The Pendereki stuff's wild and really does fit with the project as well as with this tenant we're about to discuss. But before we discuss it, a quick word from our sponsors. In 2001, Trugatronic invented the multi-channel tabletop audio controller, a joystick version, C4i, Iron Cross, and the button version, C4b suppressor, are cloned by many and equaled by none. 20 years later, the subhumans pulled the pin on the mother of all analog controllers, the C36 Revolution. See it at Trugatronic.com. Out now, Ord and Murderous Vision, the astral pathways of the Inflamed Mind CD. This cross-continental collaboration was created in the early months of 2021. The recordings took place in Voronezh, Russia and Fairport Harbor, USA. 53 minutes of -of out-of-body rituals and acoustic ambience. Features artwork by Ord Air and graphic design by Stephen Petrus. Still available, Dies Natalis and Victi Solis, various artist compilation CD, and Murderous Vision, Abscission CD. Order at murderousvision1.bandcamp.com. Live Bait Recording Foundation, bringing you the finest in dark electronic music since 1996. PCH4. A weird title, but one of the things I actually love about P Children and one of the things that spurred this whole episode is that they have a very unique and strange discography there's a seven inch which we discussed on our patreon there's this 10 inch there's an lp there's a cd and there's a cassette tape uh which was on sound of pig and 
I actually just completed my collection and Connolly here. Well, well, no, we've talked about it before when I say I'm trying to complete a collection and then I'm like, oh, I'm not worried about that one release. So I was worried about all of these. <laughs> and so I finally nabbed the missing piece, which was the hardest to find the cassette, the single sided cassette they did on sound of Pagana. Beautiful, beautiful screen printed vinyl bag with a very thick transparency, which has also been screen printed because all of their releases are clear, uh, sort of translucent and have this. I mean, a lot of it's on sort of transparency or thick, clear card and uh, the like this 10 inches screen printed in two colors and has some like vellum kind of vibe to it. It's very, very strange. And. I like that they, they did that with their stuff. And actually, they talk about it in this. There's an interview in uh, Vital where they ask, all these record releases were pressed in clear vinyl and came in see-through cover with minimal print and information. Was there any strategic reason for that? When we set out to release the recordings, we wanted the packaging to reflect the non-traditional approach to the music. Using clear vinyls enabled us to create multiple layers with screen-printed images. Often these images were derived from intaglio prints in combination with video stills from some of the early performances. Descriptive information about the group and the recordings was kept to a bare minimum so that the music itself received emphasis over personalities. I just, I just dig that, like that thought and that through line on all of these releases, they all sit well next to each other and together. And obviously something they considered before doing even their first release of this stuff. Yeah. And what a cool discography, something one release on every major format yeah yeah i mean mm-hmm. yeah sure they could have done a five inch a six inch and eight and whatever but no it's like an eight track <laughs> yeah but it is really cool that there is yeah cassette seven inch 10 inch 12 inch and then a cd the cd actually is the one thing that isn't printed with transparent but it does have uh, like silver ink on it so it makes it it's also got an element of sort of you know reflectiveness and something to carry through it and it is what they said sounded truest to their actual sound because apparently they had some issues with the dressing plant gray which i think you can relate to. Uh, yes. And I can also hear on this recording where things are uh, a bit crumbly and uh, the the volume dynamics are all over the place on this 10 inch and possibly due to sort of the frequencies they're working in or some of the tones they're using. Or, hey, maybe that's just the the pieces themselves. But the CD is a great way to hear a bunch of collected stuff from the out of print releases and the... And a couple unreleased pieces. And that was uh, co-released by Mason Jones on Charnel House as well. So very cool. And uh, yeah, shout outs to Mason. Heck yeah, always. And the name P Children is derived from Penderecki's Children, which was the original name of the project. And they then shortened it to P Children. Hence why we were listening to the Shining soundtrack and other Penderecki pieces. And I think the volume shifts are intentional because that's very Mm -hmm. much something that Penderecki would work with, as well as a lot of classical and especially modern classical stuff. You set the volume on your stereo, you're listening, and all of a sudden you're taken to an axe going through a door (laughs) looking for... Wendy. Well, and it's that true cinematic experience of having, of going through the emotions, being calm at points, and then raising the tension and bringing it back down. It's taking you through that sonic journey uh, and tension points. Yeah, Penderecki's pieces are very emotive, and 
you know, he's a Polish composer that's sort of really known for his use of dissonance. And that is uh, a line that P children followed very heavily. And, you know, where Penderecki might use violin and cello to convey some of that, they are using metal and prepared piano and oxygen tanks. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, oil barrels and yeah, I don't have any oxygen tanks. I need, I need an oxygen tank. Someone who, someone's got a large oxygen tank in LA. You let me know, or you can ship it if you, if you want. They're, they're in short supply right now, but I bet you can get a prepared piano or prepare one yourself. What does one do to prepare a piano? Like a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. Mm -hmm. I've always had jokes like that in my head. (laughs) Anytime I hear the term prepared piano or prepared guitar. Um, Well, this particular prepared piano that they referenced in the interview from Vital, it was the lower 40 strings of the piano mounted to an iron base. And I feel that that, or at least something close to that, is utilized on this 10-inch, especially on the second side. To me, the beginning, the first track, Recurrence, is bowing metal and letting it hang in the air though i guess it could be also piano strings it's sort of obscure and hard to decipher yeah and this one actually in the cd there's an instrumentation list and so recurrence lists piano samples metal and oxygen tanks specifically hey there you go so it looks like we're all on the up and up and i think right away the idea of penderecki being an influence on this project is reminiscent is evident on this first track this track could be in the shining it starts very simple and bare and it intensifies as it continues and it gets overwhelmingly loud it does this one kind of floods up and gets nasty uh throughout its four minutes and and i noticed at the end there's almost a gong-like background to it too which you don't really hear in in the beginning and then this this second track i think it might be my favorite on here altercation it's a lot of junk rattle but then something kind of strange comes in at least compared to the first track well there's just that heavy noise beginning to altercation yes it is very heavy and feels like a classic 90s noise beginning it does yeah and and i think altercation stands out because they did have a guest percussionist on on this track and and it really comes into play frequently with the banging of many items but then they might have had a percussionist but they also had a drum machine definitely or at least electronic drums yeah, yeah, it, it's that, that's true. It, it might not be a machine. It it felt like it to me, given the the timing. But it's really strange and kind of comes out of nowhere in this crude industrial fashion. And it's not. It does not take up the whole piece. It doesn't turn into a drum machine piece. There's still like weird string scraping and sliding across uh, the strings and a little bit of like bashing of metal. And then it's it sort of piano comes in actual piano now too not yes. not a sounding board or anything like that but it's an actual someone's playing a piano. 
Well, you know, I, it's so funny that you guys thought it was drum machine. I did not think that. And only because uh, Parker and Kurtzinger went to college for music composition. So I was assuming that they knew many, many musicians who are gifted and the fact that they could do classical music, be studio musicians and do something of that nature. So I assumed that they could play with that type of precision, you know, with the tools they had at hand. So I don't know. But one of them. So Mike Parker is actually a DJ and does produce techno music and had been concurrently producing that type of music since about 1997. So it would make sense that he would be familiar with drum machines at this point sure. and utilize them in a track. And I think it is interesting that the past few episodes, including this one, we've really seen a big gamut of what noise artists can come from background wise. Mm -hmm. Dylan Neoikis coming from the trash and the dumpster. Yen Pox coming from more of a dark music ambient world and P children coming from actually studying music in college. Yeah. Kersinger annotates for the Boston symphony orchestra. And that is, I mean, doing symphonic annotation is deep into music theory and interpretation. That's no small task. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think we noted that when we did our P Children seven inch episode. Although Tara, you yes. weren't present for that one. That was that was a terrorless episode. I, I don't remember why. It was that. just one that she missed. But <laughs> the the use of silence in this track is effective. When we we discussed the Runzel Stern K two seven inch a few weeks ago on our <laughs> Patreon, and we discussed the use of silence and how it's not something we always come back to. And I thought about that a lot and wondered if I sort of made a miss statement in that, because I do think silence can be effective. And I remember I said that in the mm -hmm. episode, but it is, it is used in a way here that I think is very effective and adds to the atmosphere of the piece. I can I can find Runzel Stern's silence to be pesky, whereas this silence is more pregnant with an emotion. So the recurrence track, we do have silence, but when you have the sound of rusty metal breaking through that silence, it becomes something different. Your your mind's eye is envisioning. Um, whereas when you have silence that's just punctuated with rattling and is schizophrenic at times and torturous it's it's a different experience altogether more, or more than anything when it's purposefully annoying as opposed to it feeling part of the emotion that the track is attempting to commit i i feel like this is almost two tracks because it after there is a, a bit of silence uh sort of between piano sections um yes but when it comes back there's sort of a weird loop and some more like scraping but also more more proper piano and then the the rapid fire drums and sort of sawing on metal stuff to round out the piece and it it feels very much of the same but it's also two distinct sort of movements in this and i think that that is another sort of modern classical influence in their work also just the title altercation 
so great. These are the titles yeah. that get me excited these days. Yes. Something like recurrence, something like altercation. I love words that take on other meanings, but have very distinct meanings themselves. And then paired with the music set off. But the idea of simple words is something mm-hmm. that I'm very drawn to these days. I love the way the piano sounds. It sounds like it's from another time. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and- the schooling, of course, means uh, they could probably properly play that. And that's another thing, you know, uh, looking through the liner notes of the CD in reference to this episode was there. there is definitely Rhythm Machine credited on some of the tracks. However, Altercation isn't on the disc, so it doesn't have a specific lineup for that. But... I think given the the stuff at their disposal, uh, being able to actually play piano is uh, something they could do as well as, you know, a myriad of other things. So I like the idea of being trained in sort of and, and applying it, being trained musically and applying it to experimental music. And reverse pool applying it. Nice. <laughs> um, so in altercation, if you guys ever run your fingernail up and down a piano wire much like a guitar string i've certainly done it on guitar i don't i i don't think i've ever really had access to a piano in order to do that yeah on on grand pianos i mean it is it's definitely you know running something up and down a piano wire it makes such a crazy distinctive sound and the amount that they resonate is so crazy and that definitely um you know that thing like nails on a chalkboard or rubbing two balloons together? The first part of this track definitely kind of did that for me after having done that with my fingernails. <laughs> uh, and it's and it's very raucous and the feedback just kind of breaks through this like a bright light. And, and I think on Altercation, it was the first track where I started thinking of it as being a soundtrack, as being evocative and trying to like search in my mind what what they were trying to conjure with this like what's it a soundtrack for and initially i was thinking this is a an abstract painting that's coming to life and kind of wiggling around in the air and then was also thinking perchance an animated scarecrow fight uh oh here comes the scarecrow again animated scarecrow fight there's certainly a stuttering motor at the beginning of this you know there's going to be some scarecrow and talk. you know that scarecrows fight hard uh and the last minute of this has so much chaos and i truly think that is where the altercation was happening yeah in the last one minute of this seven and a half minute track so gray what what came to your mind were you feeling the scarecrow vibe you know i, I just recently watched scarecrows again oh so. we know because we talked about <laughs> it i was very excited that you watched Such a, movie. Great movie. a noise extra favorite yeah a movie you can watch anytime <laughs> just put that movie on and it's it's yes. a good time uh i was not in the scarecrow i was actually thinking of something i read in the interview where they talk about uh using stills from video works and thinking about the kind of video works they might have made because the cd has kind of video looking stuff on the cover and I'm, I'm just abstract video collage was sort of in my mind for this as a, as a soundtrack to that. It's, I think it's evocative of that sort of the kind of footage you'd find in late eighties, early nineties, experimental video, you know, uh, 
handheld camera, weird shots, blown out contrast and weird color processing, uh, multi-layered images, moving images and multi-layered moving images. And I, this conjures up all of that to me while listening to it. So I wish that they had one further release and it was a VHS release because I would love to see what those videos looked like that they were making. Yeah, we searched for them. We did. We couldn't find any. And even in the interview, they talk about working on a longer, bigger piece that seems to have never come to fruition. Or if it did, it never saw the light of day, which is sad. Hey, maybe we're putting out the distress call right now. P-Children, does that exist? Yeah, or maybe it did exist and we just have not had any access to it or seen any references to it. So if you know it, send it along, please. The B-side, Reverse Pool. This title threw me for a, a loop. And of course, the reverse of pool being loop. Whoa. Look at that. I did not <laughs> pick that up. My brain was not as big as yours on this day. Well, I one thing I don't actually hear in this too much is looping, though. I, it's not something Whoa. I think of with mm-hmm. this track. It's got this, it's very subtle. This is a sort of softer but more processed track than the previous two we've heard. Both in terms of volume, it's quieter than the other tracks. And uh, approach, it's, it's got these sort of aquatic swells. If you told me this was like an Alp track using water as the source, I it would not surprise me at all. I loved this track. I loved that this was the longest track. It could have gone on double the length. This has a swirling organic feel to it, front to back, side to side. These mutated sounds that are slowed down in time. It's the darkest track on the 10-inch in many ways, and I got lost in it, for sure. This was also, well, like you didn't say it was your favorite track, but this was my favorite. It was my favorite. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, it's so muffled and obscure. There's so much more air in this, because on on side A, I was seeing the performance. I was picturing the piano. I was hitting, seeing the bowed metal, things like that. But on this, I didn't go to a live performance at all in my mind. It, it was just purely atmosphere. And, and just like Mike, I got lost in this. And I was trying to think of what this would be a soundtrack to. And I think it would be awesome for zombies rising from graves, like in a, in a graveyard at night, you have some mist. You have some zombies slowly, not fast zombies, no running, just just slowly, you know, digging their way from the earth, popping themselves up and looking for humans. I'm very into that imagery for this track. I think it I think it fits. I, I also got a very strong just sort of organic. Yeah, I, I had put aquatic and that was only because uh, I, I was sort of thinking that given the the pool in the title, but what what is a reverse pool or like being under a pool of water uh underground river underground lake kind of vibes to it as well and i this one is 
foggy and dark and definitely a standout on this. Like I said, altercation might be my favorite piece, but this is a very close second and it's just a, a nice sort of lower key approach to the sounds we've heard so far and just a, a different way to take those sounds and contextualize them. And the impending dread versus sort of the aggression of altercation or recurrence. Exactly. This is hidden and mysterious and really sets the atmosphere for its 10 minute duration. It's the longest track on the 10 inch. But in a way, altercation felt the longest because of the amount of movements. Yeah, it shifted so frequently and had had many moments within itself. And the tonality. I mean, that that's the the metal sort of scraping and sawing and strong dissonant sounds are just more abrasive to the ears. So when you're listening to something a little Mm -hmm. more mellow like this, yeah, 10 minutes flies right by. I love volume shifts. I, I know that sometimes they can cause you to maybe blast something louder than you intended. Um, but I really love what a volume shift can do within an album and the way that it can just suck you right into feeling as though you're present. Our discussion on the Yenpox episode with what makes an ambient album successful, it would be the opposite on this tenage where there is there there are these shifts in tone and in volume but you want that with something like this mm-hmm. tenage yes you wouldn't want it to stay in the same spot for the duration or in the same palette its movement its silences its volume shifts all make it what it is much like a penderecki piece yeah, I think for seven inches and ten inches, it needs to be something that captures your attention. Yeah, definitely, you know, nice condensed short format. I mean, we're talking 23, 24 minutes here across the two sides. So they had to get in and get out and just give you kind of four powerhouse pieces, ending with irresolution. And this is some straight up noise. Yes. Here. Yes blasted out, blown out orchestra, prepared piano destruction, wild cut up sound. This is very much cut up, cut in, cut away. Yes. And uh, there's sort of like an alarm bell sound going on it too that just drives you a little crazy. It's, It's two minutes of great, nasty, dissonant noise. And I think I wrote junk down twice in my notes on this track because it does sound like a lot of just the scrap metal sort of thing. And I, I like the weird mixture of prepared piano and sort of, you know, maybe academic influences and junk noise. Yeah. This track especially called to mind a fun word that they used to the interview. And that would be obstreperous noisy and difficult to control and absolutely irresolution maybe it was irresolution from the altercation those scarecrows will never see eye to eye they will not agree they're going to go abuse all of the metal that they have collected uh they will destroy the prepared piano 
and they will also shred each other's tape loops. And that is absolutely what's happening here. It's fast, it's slow, it's mid-paced, it's empty, it's full, it leaves, it comes back all in two minutes and 18 seconds. Yeah, and this one is also on the discography CD, and the the instrumentation listed is prepared piano, Tibetan bowl, oxygen tanks, and tape sounds. Well, those oxygen tanks got heavy use on this, God, and I tape sounds putting tank. in work. That is right, and I really think this is such a cool project to be aligned with our sound of pig this is co-released by sss who also did third organ pornography of despair did the classic cccc live lp that was standard issue at one point so just a cool time when someone in the academic world crosses over with the triple r noise underground world interviewed in vital weekly i really love that time yeah and i think it added to it they they did that intentionally by having limited information on their releases like it doesn't seem like it's part of any scene like the sounds that we hear and the ornamentation of their releases don't really imply that like they don't seem markedly industrial but they also don't seem markedly academic right they straddle a lot of different lines in a very cool way that just makes it its own unique way of presenting this music Mm -hmm. yeah i i like the associations and the the fact that they were obviously just doing their own thing but it fits so nicely into this world this triple r sss like this realm yeah being in vital you know there's actually two reviews in the vital archive uh 1987 to 1995 that just came out and well it just came out it came out last year uh hey what you is know time? what that just know. came out That's as far as i'm concerned <laughs> right uh highly recommended for all fans of pretty much all the stuff we talk about here uh, friends might have a different opinion on a release than we do, or time may have changed uh, how things are perceived or felt about, but seeing these snapshots on killer releases, uh, people operating back then, I mean, there's an interview with P children in yeah. this thing. That's, that is rare. And also thank you to Shane English for reminding me of that. <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. shout out to Shane. This was a cool band as well when you got the cd i remember you you and i went somewhere you picked me up and it was in your car one of those great blind man this sounds really good what is this like, it's that b children uh, <laughs> no collection way. cd i'm like oh heck yeah yeah so i always love a good blind listen and appreciation when you don't even know what it is but you're like this is rad yeah and note to car manufacturers Stop that not having a CD player nonsense. CD player need to have you need it. You know, my discovery of this band was sort of accidental. 
And I think I found the LP at on tour at uh, maybe True Vine in Baltimore, just digging through the stacks. And it looks so striking because of these, you know, clear vinyl printed Mm -hmm. packaging, see through packaging, that kind of stuff. And that I bought it and I just remember it sounding like like breaking glass and junk metal and like, okay, I'm going to look for anything by this band from now on. But this was a chance purchase that I happened to notice what, you know, stood out while flipping through the bins and then happened to notice was on triple R. And I think that's always a nice way to find something too, is you're like, I know that I like this label and this looks cool. I'm going to buy it. That's it. Just, just yes. do it. Yeah. Yes. I trust what Ron was going to put out back then. I, I trust how, how good it looked. And you know, sometimes you're going to be wrong and you're going to, the record's not going to be as good as it looks, but that's not the case with these P children records. They look great and they sound really good. So I love being able to trust a label. And hey, as we know, sometimes your immediate listen doesn't hit you. Sometimes it takes 10 years, 20 years yeah. to revisit something. And it all of a sudden, it hits in a way that it never did before. So when you got something like Triple R, self-abuse, you're going to just trust the label and you're going to pick it up. And I love being able to trust a label. As much as I love finding something and, and trusting a label and finding something cool and knowing that it's good right off the bat, there is really something to be said for revisiting those things in your collection that you weren't sure about and that maybe didn't grab you on first listen, but you remember there was something that you liked about in it, something that might have stuck out or might have been unique and listening to it with a fresh set of ears. I love putting on things that I haven't heard in years and being like, yeah. Like that's one of the things, you know, seven inch Sundays, I, I'll say my seven inch listening had dropped over the years. And now we listen to at least one a week and yeah. I, it's, it gives me a new appreciation of some of this stuff that like, I certainly played when I got it and then maybe it got relegated to a box and it's like, you got to take out a box and flip through your box of seven inches. And mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a different type of listening experience, even than looking at records on a shelf. So finding those things that, don't go to your favorites. Go to like, I haven't heard this in forever and give it a shot because you might rediscover something that you have in, stuck in your collection that totally rules and you have forgotten about or didn't appreciate last time you listened. We've been surprised by so many things hey. that we've listened to together and gained entirely different perspective on so many releases that we've owned for more than a decade after listening to them together and thinking about them together. No question. And hey, we even watched The Fog last night, and I don't think I'd seen it for decades. It turns out Tara had never seen it. Boy, yeah. better than yeah, ever. I highly had, recommend. I had it confused with The Mist, so, you know. Highly recommend The Fog. It was great. So it happens with so many things. Yes. Yeah, but it really does. There's something, there's something special about noise releases when they hit you in that perfect way and i think this p children 10 inch is one of those records as well as that seven inch as well as the lp and i i really want to hear the cassette yeah it's a strange and interesting project and unique and wow for 1991 i love the idea of picking this up in 1991 can you imagine having heard that i'm sure plenty of people can yeah yeah (laughs) It's awesome. You know, Ron was excited, excited enough to put out a couple. Yeah. Things. Man, what 
Max and 10 inch. And Hey, we've been doing a lot of 10 inches this year. We've been really loving 10 inches this year. Yeah. They're a cool, strange format. And much like the seven inch, you got to pack in just the right amount of material and, and get your point across with them. So they're, they're nice little medium format releases to cover. I'm glad we have introduced them into regular rotation. They're kind of a small medium. They are. They're kind of a small medium. I'm glad we have introduced them into the regular rotation in our episodes. Mm -hmm. So look out for more 10 inch episodes in the future. But until then, pick up this Petros in 10 inch and find out where it takes you. I think that about does it for the regular episode over on the Patreon. We're going to be discussing Gray's new acquisitions that are very exciting. I'm excited. I'm excited and I'm I don't, excited to play with them. We don't even own them and I'm excited. We're excited. Great, Everyone's excited. So we'll see you over there as we discuss some new acquisitions and we'll see you next week on Noise Extra. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise extra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.